good to see you all. My name is Todd Pickett, the other Todd. We've gone over that. I'm going to grab this stool here because I kind of threw out my back sitting on the sofa. That's how bad things have gotten. So if you have your bulletins, you might open them to the Ephesians passage. We are going to be crawling our way through Ephesians this summer and into the fall. And sometimes we forget, or I forget at least, that this is a letter. Of course, we're accustomed to having Ephesians kind of being a chapter in this book. Of course, originally, I think we all know, it was a letter that went to a church in Ephesus, which we now call Turkey, uh, used to be called Asia Minor, and maybe to, maybe a, maybe a letter that circulated among several churches. Um, of the 15 churches that are mentioned in the New Testament, we have letters for 13 of them. Only two don't have letters addressed to them. Um, most of those churches had a major problem, either a belief or behavior that provoked the letter, that caused the letter to be sent. Uh, the Thessalonians, for instance, were so sure that the Lord was going to come any day that they just quit working. <laughs> and so a letter had to be sent to tell them, um, no, that is not the way to wait for the Lord. Uh, the Corinthians were a mess. They were a mess. They were a raucous bunch who fighting about issues of sex and food and worship. And so uh, they had three letters sent to them, two of which we have from Paul. The Colossians were confused about their Christology, about their view of Christ. A letter had to be sent. The Galatian Christians were falling back into legalism, forgetting um, the force of the cross that had freed us from shame and guilt and the kind of deathly motivations that shame and guilt provoke in us, and so a letter had to be sent. Well, when it comes to Ephesians, it doesn't quite seem to be a central behavioral or uh, doctrinal problem. Now, apparently there were issues, because Paul does talk about unity and anger and sexuality and relations between husbands and wives and parents and children, masters and slaves. But this is not the kind of letter that is focused uh, on some kind of crisis. Paul seems to be writing generally a letter of encouragement and instruction. And perhaps it was like a church like ours, still young, still wondering what it meant to mature, as far as I know, this church is not in any major crises of doctrine or belief. We all have our issues, anger, husbands and wives, parents and children. Um, but what would it be for Paul to write a letter to a church like that? How, what would he say? What would he pray for? For a church relatively solid but young, seeking to grow? Um, I wonder what he would write to our church. Well, we don't know. He hasn't spent time with us in particular. He spent three years with the Ephesians. And of course, now he's writing from prison. But perhaps our church isn't too much different, at least in its stage and in its profile. And so what would he pray? Well, we're fortunate in the letter of Ephesians, as Dennis mentioned last week, 
The first three chapters are bookended by two of his prayers. It's always nice to know, what would an apostle pray for a church? And I'm going to move back one verse um, to verse 17 to kind of pick up uh, where Dennis was a little bit as well. And this is what the Apostle Paul prays in verse 17. It's not on your sheet, but just one verse back. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Last week, Dennis talked about spirit of wisdom and revelation, being able to see what not everyone sees. This is Paul's prayer. And what strikes me in particular is, of all the things Paul could have prayed for, he prays that this church would know God better. That's kind of a curious thing, right? Um, Because they're already believers. I mean, in our language, we would say, they already know God. That's how we talk about people. Does this person know God? And yet Paul prays they would know him better. I mean, just a few verses earlier, he says they're kind of famous for their faith and famous for their love of the saints. But he prays that God would know them better. That's a little curious. So apparently knowledge of God is not something static. It's not something that kind of has a beginning and end. So perhaps it would be easier to say of ourselves, we are coming to know God, according to Paul's letter. Um, And this coming to know God is so important to Paul, and so important to all the issues and all the, the future of the Ephesians transformation that he says, this is what I pray for you. Of all the things that I could pray for you, and I'm going to give you instruction in chapter 4 through 6 about all these matters, but if you ask me what is the one thing in my heart that I pray for this church, I pray you would know him better. I pray that you, you would receive a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of real understanding. That's what wisdom kind of is, this ability to really penetrate, as Dennis said last week, to really understand And then he says the spirit of revelation. Revelation is the word apocalypsis, uh, apocalyptic is the word, English word we get. It simply, literally translates out of darkness, out of hiddenness, out of mystery. I pray that they give you the capacity to know God out of mystery. And mystery here now is not something opaque, something I can't see through, like those uh, clouded windows that... uh, that you see. No, mystery is something that is so big that it takes a lifetime and more to get to know. It is, it is mysterious in that it is so big you cannot grasp it fully. And so there is always going to be a journey. There's always, as Lewis says, a further up and further in because it is so big. This is what Paul prays. I pray that you would know God in the spirit of Revelation, because there is so much to know. And then, of course, in our verses this morning, he adds and says, in fact, here's another way to put it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to see. The eyes of your heart. That's a great phrase. That not just these eyes, which again, as Dennis said last week, not just 
it's the failure of just these eyes to see things, but there's actually ways of seeing with the heart, and now we're getting back to issues of understanding, uh, of some different kind of knowledge that he's praying for. Well, what is this knowledge? What is this different kind of knowledge of God that he's praying for? That is, that is called eyes that come from the heart. Well, it's not what we would call exactly a knowledge about something. We can learn a lot about things through, thankfully, the rational capacities that God has given us with our minds. And we do, and we should. We should learn about many things, chiefly about God. But added to that is another kind of knowledge that Paul's talking about here. And it's that kind of personal, tangible, familiar knowledge. We might call this knowledge by acquaintance. Knowledge by personal interaction with something. It is the knowledge that comes from experience or relationship. And we know there's a difference because we know that we are often frustrated by trying to communicate to others something we know. Have you ever tried to tell somebody how great the movie was that you saw last night? I mean, you sat for two hours and you experienced this movie and you took in the plot, of course, but you were taking in people and an experience and visually, but you were actually sensing it. You were actually kind of relationally involved in the film, even though you weren't a character. And then you go the next day and say, you've got to see this film. And, and you're passionate about this because it's something you love, something you've come to know in this full-blooded way. And you start saying, okay, well, here's, there's this person. And, you know, uh, I'm trying, I should have had a movie in mind, but I don't have one. Um, you know, and he wears this spider outfit. No, I, won't, I, haven't, I, don't, I, I haven't seen that, so I can't communicate. Uh, and, and, we, and you start trying to describe the character and describe the plot. And, you know, God bless them, they are trying to hang with you. But you get this kind of vague, uh-huh, wow, that sounds really good. And you just can't get them to feel what you're feeling. Because you have this kind of full knowledge of this that's kind of come into your mind, through your senses, into your bones. Uh, you know, if there are neurologists here, they could describe that what's happening in your mind is synapses are firing and you feel it in your fingers and you're... You get goosebumps, and it's this full-blooded knowledge. And the person across the table is, okay, I'll see it. But you will leave going, I don't think they got it. <laughs> They'll have to go come and see, as Jesus says. They'll have to come and see for themselves. Well, this is the kind of, of knowledge that Paul's talking about here. The eyes of the heart somehow open and sense through the mind but also in a full-blooded way. The scriptures actually like to talk about this knowledge in terms of what we might call a filial knowledge. Filial just means the relationship between a child and a parent. So the scriptures are always talking about us as children who know this beloved parent. And of course, many of you have a deep knowledge of your parents, <laughs> right? For better or worse, you've lived with these people. You know them. Such that we're told that 80% of problems in marriage come about of, from transference of our relation, relations with our parents to our relations with our spouse. They do something that totally reminds us of our parents, and for good or ill, that affects the relationship. 
See, we know them so well that it's in our bones. Well, of course, Jesus has made us a part of his family. He said, my sonship is going to be extended to you. You are going to be adopted as sons and daughters. And I'm going to teach you to cry, Abba. Well, that's getting close to this kind of knowledge. It's not just the knowledge that he is our father. But it's this experiential knowledge that is really captured in that word, Abba. That cry to the Father who loves us and gives us all good things. In our passage, Paul calls him the glorious Father. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open to the glorious Father. And apparently, as I said, there's no end to this knowledge. Because he is infinite, there is no end to knowing him. There is infinite possible growth in our knowledge. There is an infinite possible capacity we may have, or we have a larger and larger capacity, to know him. Almost like a balloon that continually expands without breaking as you blow air into it. It is possible for us to have what they call in Latin, it's always nice to have Latin as part of a sermon, the kapax dei, the capacity for God. That our capacity for God and for knowing Him can, if not infinitely, be extended as we come to know Him. And if you allow me just to leap to the end of chapter 3, where the second prayer, bookend prayer, Paul gives us there, he prays this, listen closely. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. And here's his prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. And so you want to think the word capacity here. It's dunamis. We get the word dynamite. But it's the word capacity. I pray that um, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. I pray that you would have this capacity in your inner being, that the Spirit would create this kapax dei, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, again, wait a second. I thought we were already Christians here in Ephesus. Doesn't Christ already dwell in my heart through faith? He's saying, well, yes. But you have a larger and larger capacity for faith, and what is faith here except, in fact, that? The larger and larger capacity to know God. So the prayer is that you would have a larger and larger capacity so that Christ may in a fuller and fuller way dwell in your hearts through faith, which is this growing knowledge. Faith is knowledge, but it's this other kind of knowledge this experiential, relational knowledge by acquaintance. And he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, again, together with all the saints to grasp it. And here again, another word for that kind of knowledge, to really grab it. Like that person on the other end of the movie, they just can't grab it. Paul says, I pray you'd have the capacity to really grab it. And here's what we need to grab. How wide and long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. <laughs> it is huge. 
And your capacity can grow for that. It's going to have to be the work of the Spirit. And we can talk a little bit later about how we can cooperate with that work. Because of my prayer for you, this is the beginning and end of prayers, that you would know God and you have a capacity to grasp Christ's love. That's my prayer for you. That the power you would have and the power you would experience would be a fuller and fuller knowing God and Christ's love for you. And then he ends again with the great phrase, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> love that. To know this love that surpasses knowledge? Yeah, he's talking about this different kind of knowledge. To have a relational knowing of God that surpasses a knowing about God. Wow. That's his prayer. And then he says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that balloon, that you may be filled. Wow, this is Paul's passion. Paul was an evangelist. He was a missionary. But sometimes we miss his passion for the church to grow in its maturity simply by just getting to know God better and to expand our capacity, our kapox dei. So we are asked to come to know God in two ways in the scriptures. One is God as creator. Remember, uh, Todd several weeks ago talked about being twice bought. On the first hand, we were bought simply by kind of being given this world and being created. And so one of the ways that we come to know God is through his creation. To come to know that he's the glorious father, creator. And you and I are meant to move around this world and to come to know Him through what He's made. Again, to see things that not everyone sees. To be able to connect all of creation and all of God's good gifts right back to the glorious Father. To experience Him through what He has made and through what He has given. To develop the habit of seeing that direct line from all that is around us to the Creator. That is what helps us develop this kapax dei, this knowledge of God, just like we know someone through what they've done for us, loved us, given us. 1 Timothy 4 says, Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving. Well, that is partly how the eyes of our heart are enlightened. We see everything differently. We see everything that is good coming from God. And each day, our capacity to love Him grows as we see everything connected to Him. Were we to list everything even in a single day, our capacity to love God would grow. I mean, I think of myself today. I wake this morning, and I am safe. <laughs> I have a roof over my head. And that's the way it was supposed to be, to have a roof over my head. Not everyone does, but it's the way it's supposed to be. I was safe from danger and political threat and that's not how it is for everyone but that's how it's supposed to be i woke feeling safe i drove this morning to rooster cafe over there on randolph and bristol where juan nicole desiree and myra people i've come to know there by going there way too often <laughs> served me breakfast i mean they just brought it to me it was easy for me to get food it's not true for everyone but it has been true for me. And I get to encourage them. I built relationships with that staff there behind the bar, and they've come to know me. 
And I just thank God for arranging providence in such a way for many people that there are people who grow this food, harvest it, collect it, transport it, clean it, distribute it, bake it, cook it, deliver it to me. Thank you, Lord, for that. I get to come here and I get to have the words of truth in my mouth today. That's great. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given me a task occasionally to do this. Well, I just thank you, Lord. I mean, your word, that is just, that is huge. That as infinite and, and big as you are, you have communicated to us your person in your word and, of course, in Jesus Christ himself. Wow, uh, we would be lost otherwise. We would be just at sea. We would know God through what he was made, but a lot, the cross and the Trinity and all those things, we just wouldn't know about those. You can't understand the cross and redemption from looking at a mountain. You can understand God's love and power. But yeah, you can't get, oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Wow, thank you for that. You've disclosed yourself to us. After lunch today, I'll, I mean, after church today, I'll probably go have lunch with friends. Lord, thank you that there are people that walk with me, who know me. Thank you for the church. People who have come together and, and loved me and teach me, comfort me, encourage me. Oh, and then there's food again. I won't go through that all again, but there's food. Uh, I did hurt my back this week. Uh, and so at 1 p.m., Otto, whom I've never met, Otto is a massage therapeutic massage therapist, will work on my back. <laughs> um, and you know what? My body will probably heal. And this is not a life-threatening issue. <laughs> I was sitting on the sofa. I can... But Lord, thank you that you created these bodies that often heal themselves and that there are other people gifted in that. Thank you, Lord, for that. This afternoon, uh, in planning for dinner tonight, I will go to a Korean market out there in Tustin. Amazing place. And the produce is just amazing. I mean, mounds of it. And I just walk in there and go, wow, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for how you, through the soil and the sunshine and, and the nutrients and seeds, it just keeps coming. Tonight, uh, we're inviting some of my oldest daughter's teachers over for dinner after them shepherding her through a few years of high school. And just the gratitude for those people and their talents. And as I've become accustomed to doing lately, as I'm sitting with them, and if I'm not talking, and I, I often just pray for them around the table. They're not, they're not believers. And I'll just pray for them. And, and Lord, thank you that I have these interactions with people. Thank you for them. And Lord, I just thank you that I can approach the throne on their behalf and pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to see this. It'll be, it'll be a great evening. We'll talk about art, literature, and film, and silly stuff as well. And, oh, it'll be great. And, and my daughter Carly will love it because she loves these people. And Lord, thank you for my daughter Carly. Thank you for children. There are hard things, too. My 91-year-old father is failing, and I'm grieving this and learning patience and love. I'm learning to trust in God because I can't do much about this. And so I even thank that, Lord. Thank you for teaching me this, and thank you that even I know that it's just my presence with him that helps, even if I don't have the ability to heal him. Thank you for that. I have colleagues and friends who are struggling in their marriages pretty badly. Well, that's creating some uh, real struggle. But Lord, thank you that you are present. 
Thank you that you're teaching them. You're walking with them in this. So this is the kind of knowledge that God invites us to have of him. As we move through our days, we sense him as our father, not just knowing about his providence, but actually enjoying it, actually marking it, actually seeing the connections that all things come from him and our capacity for God, for knowing him better, grows. See, this is precisely the thing that Paul says not everyone has. And we pray for them. Because, again, it is not something you can always just describe to someone, although we need to try as hard as we can. <laughs> like that movie, we need to try as hard as we can to tell the stories, unpack our experience, to, to use the ideas we have, apologetics, narrative, justice, to remove those things in people's lives that keep them from experiencing God's love, to remove poverty, so they can just get to a point where they can experience his goodness in creation. But he says, by and large, this capacity for God is not something people have without the Spirit. This kapox dei. And Paul says it in Romans 1. He says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So on the one hand, Paul says, people do kind of know about God. <laughs> More Latin. They have a sensus divinatus, <laughs> a sense of divinity. They know that He exists. They're without excuse. It's clear from what He's been made. People have this kind of vague sense, which most of them are repressing. By the way, evangelism, you know what that is mostly? trying to get people to stop repressing their knowledge of God. How do I stop, help these people stop repressing what they already know in some vague way? Paul says these people know already about God from what he's been made. But although they knew God, he says in verse 21, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, which is to say they didn't really know him. <laughs> They knew about him, but because they didn't have that relational capacity for him, because they can't thank him for things, because they don't really know him. They don't glorify him because they don't really know him. See, they haven't really experienced him. Otherwise, they'd be thanking him and glorifying him. So they kind of vaguely know about him, but they turn away. They repress it. They don't have this other kind of knowledge, this knowledge of a child to a parent, a good parent of gratitude. They can't connect that all these things that they see, they can't connect it back to God in a way that creates a capacity to know Him better. Calvin will call this, by the way, the seminal problem of humankind. And he calls it obliviousness in the Institutes. And John Calvin says, he says, the major problem of humankind is they are just dull and oblivious. They just can't see it. <laughs> they can't see that every good thing in human life is a loving gift from God's own hand. I was at Venice Beach on Friday. I don't know if I'd ever been there. I'd heard about it. Uh, you're never a tourist in your own town. So it wasn't until my wife's family from the East Coast came out that I became a tourist and went to Venice Beach. Um, I'd seen it in movies, so I have a vague recollection. I don't know if it's my experience or the movie experience, but... But, you know, if you've been there, it's kind of like this massive human swap meet, kind of. Uh, swap meet slash circus is the best way I could describe it. Um, and what sells, of course, is 
stuff that sells. Sex, vulgarity, drugs, inebriation. Um, and, and it was such a contrast to see this beautiful coastline. God presenting himself in all of his goodness and love and creation on that beautiful coastline. And then this other strip of relative meaninglessness, obliviousness, really meant to distract us from our meaninglessness. Now, surely there were Christians like myself, others milling around there, but the overall sense was just, they don't get it. (laughs) And it was overpowering because of the number of people there. And I thought, I said, what would Venice Beach be like if people really knew God? Really received all that he's given with a filial love for him. They had this capacity to know him, not just have a vague sense for him and then fill it up with their own notions, but really knew him. And then I thought, what would I be like <laughs> if I really knew God? I mean, where am I in that journey and what is my capacity? I wonder what I would be like as I took the journey further in. And so this would be the second thing. Not only would we come to know God and develop this capacity through knowing him as creator, but we come to go know God and know, his, uh, know him through his capacity as redeemer. And of course, in the rest of our passages, what Paul prays for him. That you would know God as the redeemer, that he has now twice bought you. Not only is he God as creator who has created these things for you to come to know him, but now he's come back after we have become oblivious, grabbed us, and now we get to know him all over again as redeemer. So Paul prays, I pray that you would know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And Dennis talked about this last week, that God's plan is to redeem all of creation, including us, to live as his children. In fact, the words, the riches of his glorious inheritance refers to us. We are the glorious inheritance. (laughs) Through Christ's death, God has re-inherited us as his children. And we are, our calling is to know the riches of this. Our calling is developing this kapox dei, to know the riches of what it means to be the children of God. That is our calling. When Paul will say in the first verse of chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, walk in, the, in who you are, in the riches of who you are, God's children. That's our primary calling, is to move deeper and deeper into getting to know God better and into union with Him. You may ask yourself, Lord, what is my calling? And there, may, there are many callings we have in our lives. I'm here to tell you that is your primary calling, to know God better and to enjoy Him forever. And so, we not only have a hope that God will do what he says he will do, that he will redeem the world and redeem us. But in fact, um, he has the power to do it. (laughs) It is not just his intention. We know plenty of people with good intentions, and we love them for their good intentions, but we doubt whether they really have the power to pull it off. That is not the case with God. It says, not only do I have the intention of making you family, and giving you all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. But I am going to raise Jesus Christ to the preeminent place. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
And so he says, with the same power, God has placed Christ above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, for us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God says, I want to give life. It's that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So what is his power? It is the power to actually give life. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were lost. Anybody see that movie, The Perfect Storm? Last scene, powerful. The lone survivor who will not survive very long is floating a tiny dot out in the middle of a huge sea. That's, that was us. We were lost. There was no way unless he reached down to give us life. And that's exactly what he did. He raised you and me from the dead. He says that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead raised you from the dead. In other words, that power is life, being connected again to the source. And that power is also able to reconnect everything in the world to Jesus, and he will do it. A life without a solid relational knowledge of God's providence will be cold and barren. We are invited to know and to trust God and his providence in this world. It is hard. Every day we're aware of the racism, poverty, terrorism, greed, problems that seem so big we cannot solve. But God not only has the plan, but also the power to bring all these things under him. So, in closing, how do we become the kind of people who increase in this kapax dei? This calling we have, this prayer that Paul has for us to know God, to know his hope, and to know his power. Well, Paul says it's going to have to be work of the Spirit. <laughs> and by this, he doesn't mean a one-time blessing or one-time zapping or something. He means... Just like relational knowledge of someone grows by a long obedience in the same direction as Peterson puts it, so our capacity for God can grow, to know him better. Um, so one thing is we pray for ourselves. Lord, I want to know you better. We pray for one another. Lord, I pray that the eyes of this person's heart will be enlightened to know him better. Lord, I pray for people in my family who don't know him at all to have a sudden revelation of knowledge of God. Think for a moment. Who does your heart go out to? Could be a Christian friend who is stuck, who needs to have a revelation of God's power and love. Non-believer in your family. You've tried to describe to him or her who God is, and that is so good because you've given them a frame, but there needs to be this other kind of knowledge that the Spirit brings. We call it conversion. So we pray for them. We keep going to a church where every week they tell the big story of Jesus coming, 
of God creating, Jesus coming, dying, being risen to the right hand of the Son of God, a church that reminds us of the good news of the gospel through confession, a church where we can actually taste the gift of Jesus Christ to us in his body and blood. Oh, a church like ours. <laughs> where every week we come and relationally and participatory seek to expand our knowledge of God through the liturgy. That's what we do each week. We come and we give ourselves again to this knowledge of God and in a participatory way we ask the Spirit to use these symbols and words and songs and stories to increase our kapaks day. And then just our, on our own, we ask ourselves, how do I get to know God better? How does it work with me? Paul will spend half this letter trying to get, before he even commands them to do one thing, he'll spend the first three chapters just trying to get them to know God better. He spends half the time. Chapters 1 through 3 are famous for not having a single imperative except to remember. <laughs> He doesn't ask us to do a single thing except to say, get to know him better and hear what he's like. So maybe, as we think of our lives, what would it be to spend um, a substantial amount of time just, how do I come to know God better? For some of you, it's going to be chiefly through prayer, and for all of us, perhaps, of course. For some, it's going to be through nature. As you come to know God as creator, for some of you it's going to be through evangelism, as you get to see over and over again the power of the Spirit opening people up to God the Redeemer. For others of you, it will be um, scripture reading. Um, again, all of us should participate in all those things, but you might ask yourself, how is it in the past that I have really connected with God? Service, evangelism, prayer, nature. This is not fiddling while Rome burns. There are many problems in the world. But Paul's chief prayer for this first century church is that the power is going to come as people come to know God better. And so in the time that just follows in our short reflection time, just ask the Spirit that. Lord, how have you drawn me in the past to come to know you better? And how can I cooperate with the Spirit's work in my life. In Jesus' name.